CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, President Trump throws a monkey wrench into plans to name a successor to Johnny Isaacson's Senate seat. Georgia has seen a lot of the Democratic presidential candidates this week. How have they crafted their messages in the hopes of attracting Georgia supporters? Political Rewind starts now. I'm glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind. Uh, If you're watching us on our Sunday morning TV show or on Facebook Live right now, uh, you can see that we're a very different studio. We are in the Radio Talk studio, just rebuilt here. Um, Lots of wonderful graphics up on the wall. So um, if you're listening live on the radio, and it's a little bit after 2 on Friday afternoon, uh, turn over to Facebook Live, the GPB news page, and take a look at what we're uh, doing. We're pretty excited about it. It's been a, an extraordinary, an exceptional week in politics. Uh, certainly people have been paying attention to the impeachment hearings coming out of Washington, but more especially for those of us in Georgia, people have paid an awful lot of attention to the uh, comings and goings of Democratic presidential candidates who were here for the Wednesday night debate, did events before then and after then. We're going to talk about all that, plus an event that kind of shook things up uh, just a few hours before the debate took place. And we'll tell you what that is in just a moment after I introduce today's panel. Jim Galloway is with us, of course. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He appears uh, on the pages of the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays and oversees the Political Insider blog. We've had a busy week. You were you were working hard. Uh, you know, it's 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 usually you see this kind of downward slope, a uh, 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 slacking of energy as you approach Thanksgiving. This was an avalanche. Yeah, yeah. It was it was crazy. We're all going to be thankful that it's over with by you know the end of the day today, and we can maybe take it a little easier next week. Melita Easters is sitting next to Jim Galloway. She, of course, is the founder and the director of the Georgia Win List, which uh, identifies. Women candidates who are pro-choice to run for office. Melita, how many candidates do you have already uh, involved in the 2020 election cycle? We will be announcing the week after Thanksgiving a slate of 12 early endorsed candidates that I hope you'll have me back to talk about. On on various levels? Are these legislative candidates? All legislative Senate and House seats. All right. Yeah, we will have you back to talk more about that. so that's that's going to be interesting to uh, keep track of. Um, also at the table today, uh, Jackie Gingrich Cushman. She um, is a columnist, syndicated columnist. I read her at JackieCushman.com. And every time I say that, you always say to me, I'm on town hall. Exactly. Well, you can find me anywhere. You can just Google me. I'll pop up. And also, <laughs> where, there it is. This is Jackie's new book, Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Stop Listening. Start listening. Yes. Did I say stop listening? I think you did. Yeah. You, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and start listening. It's good to have you back Thank with you. us today. And we welcome for the first time to our show uh, Dr. Marilyn Davis. Dr. Davis is a political science professor at Spelman College. You said just before we went on the air, you have been teaching at Spelman. It's hard to believe because you must have been a 
student teacher since 1981. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We said before the show, we're kind of informal around here. We like to recognize people who have their PhDs, but we kind of call people by their first names, and you said that Thanks was okay with you. Thanks for doing that. I love okay. it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's get started. Jim Galloway, we're all out, and many of us, you, me, uh, uh, our team, political rewind team, um, Greg Bluestein, Tia Mitchell, we're all out there at Tyler Perry Studios Wednesday afternoon getting set for the big debate. We've been watching the impeachment hearings uh, t- come, you know, take place in Washington, preparing for the debate, and we're thinking it's impossible there could be a bigger story that could come along to blow either of these out of the water. And at about I'm thinking four o'clock or so, your colleague, Greg Bluestein, broke an even bigger story. Yeah, yeah. This was this was uh, this was a uh, of course, in September, uh, uh, Governor Brian Kemp had set up a system of, uh, you know, come one, call, come all apply for for Johnny Isaacson's U.S. Senate seat. And uh, some two months later, uh, Doug Collins, U.S. Representative Doug Collins of Gainesville says, you know, even if I'm not his pick, I'm running. We had 500-plus applicants, according to the governor's office, Doug Collins, of course. One of them, by the way, Jackie Cushman, um, another one. And we're going to get her take on all this in a couple of minutes. But um, So people had, had uh, all this time to apply. The governor finally cut off the application process just a week or so ago. I don't have the exact date. I think just on Monday, Monday. this last Monday. Monday. This last oh my Monday. gosh. It feels mm-hmm. like it was longer ago than <laughs> yeah. that, but fine. All right. Welcome to political timeline, yes, right? exactly right. <laughs> but, so here's what happens. Um, on November 8th, the day that President Trump came to Georgia, most of us speculated that Trump being Trump, he might get up on stage and just blurt out. It, well, we, we got to say who's on the plane with him coming in from Atlanta. Doug Collins was on the plane with him. And so was Sonny Perdue. And so were the Perdues, who are both, you know, uh, staunch supporters of the Doug Collins bid for this. So everybody thought, well, maybe Trump is going to really blow things up and say, I want Doug Collins. He didn't. But on Wednesday afternoon, (coughs) we learned that he has called the governor and said, Doug Collins is the guy for the job, which according to Bluestein sources, has infuriated uh, Governor Kemp. Well, it's, it's put him in an impossible situation. Uh, I mean, either either he has to, if if he if he if he accedes to Trump, accedes to Trump, then he he appears bullied in something as less than a sovereign governor. Uh, uh, and if he challenges Trump, well, then uh, obviously Doug Collins is going to be running, and whoever he picks is going to be immediately on a Republican defensive. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, and then I'll turn it over to the rest of the panel, is that we also learned earlier this week, Doug Collins announced, if I'm not Kemp's choice, I'm going to take him on, and I may take on his choice in the election, which will be in uh, yeah, yeah, that was November. his message. That was his big threat. Well, that sets us up, though, for a very interesting 2020 cycle if, indeed, Kemp decides to go with a minority or a woman um, appointee to try and shore up his own chances in 2022 and following the lead that he has already shown in some of his other appointment choices by 
selecting judges and the insurance commissioner from the minority um, community, then we're more like the jungle primary we had when you had 18 candidates for CD6 in 2018. Congressional District 6. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Marilyn Davis, I, I don't want to put you on the spot in your first appearance on the show, but it f- struck me that Kemp being kind of c- caught flat-footed about the president saying, I want it to be Doug Collins, was an entirely avoidable um, situation for him. On November 8th, I started to say before, when the president was in town, we're now told that in the limousine ride that Brian Kemp made with him to the event, he told him then, Trump said then, I think you should pick Doug Collins. At that moment, it strikes me that the governor may have wanted to say, we better shut down the application process on next Monday and Tuesday, make our choice. He could have been in charge of all this. It could have been his um, uh, process, and Trump would have then had to figure out how to respond to it. Instead, unfortunately, the governor is now caught off guard by the president. Well, the governor should not really be caught off guard when you think about the legislative skills that a president has. The legislative skills are within the party leadership, of course, but he's always thinking, the president is always thinking about what the states bring to the legislature, especially the Senate, but especially the House as well. So I think that the governor should consider that uh, presidents are looking for partisan loyalties, and this is one great way of doing it yeah, as Doug well. Yeah, Doug Collins certainly has been his and, and with, yeah. you know, most and fierce with, defender. With mm-hmm. impeachment looming. Yes. So you've got to have that. Then the bipartisan strategy of coalition building, it may not be so important to the president at this point, but I'm sure it's always in the back of his mind. So are there Democrats who will support me as well? Even in the democratically dominated House, there are members of the House who would still say no to impeachment, Mm -hmm. even some Democrats as well. So I think that when you look at the president's role, whoever the president is, then you're not surprised about those decisions that he makes. But he, he campaigns. I'm sorry. No, no, I apologize for cutting you off. Finish your thought. Well, he campaigns uh, in states for that purpose. I need a majority for my continuing policy initiatives. Okay. So, Jackie, we, we recognize, and you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. that you have some constraints on what you want to say in all this because you did put your hat in the ring. But I suspect that one of the reasons that this was of interest to you was because you are a woman. You do bring a different face to a Republican mm-hmm. Party dominated by white men. And I, knowing you, imagine that you thought it would be good for this, for your party to have more a, a more diverse uh, 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 candidate for this job. So tell us how all this plays out for you right now. We still don't know who Kemp's going to yeah. pick. You may very well be his pick. Um, so let me, let's back up a little bit. Now, and you're right. That's part of why I'm going to talk about why I put my name in. But let's back up and look at Governor Kemp. So he came in a year ago. And I remember sitting here right before he was elected or as he was elected. And there was a lot of concern about what kind of governor would he be. Mm. And I said, he'll be a very good governor. People were worried about Governor Deal before he became governor. And he's turned out to be great. And Governor Kemp, if you look at his approval ratings, they were 37 percent when he took office. I think in, in the they're, six they're months low, ago, they were, they were yeah. 46. They're now mm-hmm. at 50, 54, I think. So the, mm-hmm. the, right. So he's, he's, he's grown up dramatically in terms of approval rating. So he's in a very good position 
from his personal stance. We all know he has the, the, the right, the obligation, the responsibility to appoint the senator. And I know he takes that very seriously about what's the best for Georgia. The reason that I put my name in the ring, partly to your point, because we do need more, I think, different look for the Republican Party. And we're getting that through these applications, which is really interesting. We have some really interesting applicants that have applied for this job. Now, I've said on the show several times that the pool of applicants is more diverse than the existing Republican Party and, in Georgia. Which is really interesting. And the other reason that I really put my hat in the ring is, is because I wrote the book. I, don't, I think if I had not written that book that I would not have put my hat in the ring. But we are so divisive right now, and I clearly have specific po- policy stances that we'll talk about later. But I do believe we can do it in a way that is civil and that is more interesting and that is more more um, warming and welcoming than we're currently doing now. Now, that's op- obviously very opposite of Doug Collins, who's pretty much the, he's a bulldog. So I think, you know, Governor Kemp, is he's got a really tough decision. He's made really great decisions in terms of the courts. And I know that he's thinking about this um, long and hard. I feel very confident he'll make a very good decision. And I do want to point out. Um, I know, it, go okay, ahead. That I know you write about Kelly, or you're a blue team, write about Kelly Loeffler, who's who's up yes. for as well. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out a couple of things that I think are really interesting because um, she's, you know, yes, she's a very successful businesswoman, but she also has a CFA, which is a Charter Financial Analyst designation, which I also hold. Um, it's very hard to achieve. Only 17% actually get through it. Only 16% of CFA charter holders are women. Um, and she and I have both been in the finance area as an executive. Only 15% of executives are women in the finance area. So I just want to say we have a lot of really qualified people. And I think that's really good for the Republican Party. Man, Jackie Cushman is hoping that a governor is listening right no. now. I know. No, no, but I, mean, nothing, I mean, I think it's great we that. have. I mean, I think it's great we have highly qualified candidates. It's, it's great to have that problem. It is interesting, Melita, and then you t- say what you want to do. But as, as Jackie talks about wanting to broaden the diversity of the party, we hear many times on this show that Republicans don't have a Melita Easters who knows how to go out and attract women uh, to run for office. And they're pretty envious of uh, what you've been able to do over the well, years. Well, thank you. I, I, we've moved the needle for Democratic women. But I will say about <laughs> Kelly Loeffler, long before we knew that Johnny Isaacson would retire, I heard her speak at a 4-H gala for Georgia 4-H clubs when she had made a six-figure gift to the restoration of the chapel at Rock Eagle. And I will tell you, listening to her tell her story of growing up on a farm in the Midwest, she had a very nice presentation, a great um, connection with that crowd in the way she presented herself. I was inspired enough to go look at her voting record and see who she'd given money to. in, in the possibility that she would make a good Democratic <laughs> she, candidate she, recruit. She, but the thing that the governor and, and everyone on the Republican side of the aisle needs to remember <coughs> is that women don't vote for women just because they're women. All you'd have to do is look at the CD race, CD6 race between Lucy McBath and Karen Handel, which we might very well have a, a, in front of us again. And so, yes, she is a successful businesswoman. You are a successful businesswoman and author. But if the values of the candidate are not aligned with the values of the suburban women they are trying to get the votes from, 
they're not going to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. What, what we've got, what we've got here in in in, in this Senate situation, we've got at, at the at the thirty thousand foot level, we've got a confluence of two different streams. <clears throat> we've got we've got Brian Kemp who is looking at at Virginia and Louisiana and Kentucky and seeing the results there and seeing the suburban revolts there and thinking about how can he protect his party, how can he protect his people, and his constitutional officers and and maintain you know maintain. Uh, uh, Republican control of the Senate's the, the, these the two U.S. Senate seats. Okay, so that you've got that that you've got that stream. Then on the other one, you've got the impeachment stream, and 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 Doug Collins has made uh, his defense of uh, his defense of, of President Trump is central to his bid. Now uh, he is he has he is pitching himself as as a guaranteed vote uh, uh, to preserve Trump's. Uh, presence, uh, presidency when, when, when this comes to trial, as it probably will now, in the U.S. Senate. And that requires a, that, that requires an, a, 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 a fellow who, who is very, very strong with the GOP base. I mean, this isn't about, you know, this isn't, this isn't about saying, saying nice things uh, about Trump but keeping your distance. This is, this is wrapping your arms around him. So you've got two different needs at two different, in, in, in two different uh, GOP power centers. Uh, I want to point out that on Wednesday morning, I did an interview with uh, David Perdue mm-hmm. that's now posted on the GPB News website. You can go listen to it there if you want to. And I asked Purdue, uh, Jackie, whether he thought that this was right before the president <laughs> weighed in on, on uh, Doug Collins. I said, do you think that having a more a, a, a candidate who reflects the diversity of Georgia, an African-American candidate, a female candidate, would be a smart thing for the governor to pick? And he, he said, yeah. He said, this is going to be my running mate, essentially, in 2020. Um, and it would be great. He said, I'm not going to obviously try to tell the governor what to do, but I do think it's it would be a good thing to do that. Um, and then I said, well, Doug Collins has just announced that he may run for the seat if he's not the choice. Uh, would you tell him not to? And Purdue was very uh, circumspect. He said, I would never presume to tell them what to do, at least publicly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does create more, um, you know, a more challenging area. But, you know, this is this is part of the process, right? I mean, we're a free country. We can speak up and say what we want. We can say we're going to jump in the race if we want to. Um, you know, I, I think that the governor Purdue is looking, looking not only at you know his race and, and David Perdue's, but also President Trump's, and quite frankly, all the state legislators. I mean, he's got a, a House and a Senate here in Georgia that he really wants to protect. And he has to think of a, it's not even calculus anymore. It's above algebra and calculus. I'm not sure what the math is, but there are a lot of things to consider. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah he's this, the state house, the, the state house contest that, that mm-hmm. Melita is focusing so right. heavily on is, uh, is, is it, could, it, it could be decided in the sixth and seventh districts. Well, and if you have Doug Collins elevated to the Senate, then who knows how many state reps and state senators will give up their seats to run for the Collins congressional seat, which then creates a great deal of fruit basket turnover on the next level. And that is, yes, the northeast corner of Georgia, his congressional seat, but it dips down into Athens and it includes a lot of previously unengaged minority voters who never even bothered to register or bothered to vote because they didn't think their voice was heard. So, Mary, so yes. what happens in that district 
if the local state senator decides to run for Congress, and then you have several open Senate and House seats and newly engaged yeah, voters. Interesting dominoes. Yes. Marilyn, uh, we've focused on the fact that it would be helpful for the Republican Party to have a woman in the mix. The reason that Kelly Loeffler's name came up on this show a few minutes ago is that there's been a lot of speculation that he, he Kemp may have had her in the back of his mind for quite some time. I, that may be true. I know that it's been reported but to the best of my knowledge, it's still somewhat spec- speculative. Nevertheless, we haven't focused on the fact there are some African-American candidates in this race. Robin Crittenden, acting uh, secretary of state uh, for a period of time, now in another very high-profile job for the state of Georgia, generally very, very well respected. It, was, it is an opportunity, regardless of whether Doug Collins is, in, is the president's pick or not, for Kemp to do with this job what he's done already in some of his appointments, that's show the diversity of the state and pick yes. an African-American. I like the value of diversity. And in addition to that, on an equal basis, the value of civility. And I would love to see in all of the campaigns more people being nice to each other, uh, even in terms of the debate on Wednesday night We know that young people are listening. They're very impressionable. They want to be leaders as well. So we should not talk to each other in an uncivil manner. Uh, The second has to do with money. So if you have this untapped voting strength, then are those people also going to be turned off by knowing these campaigns require so much money? So I'm not necessarily saying public funding should be used, but just less funding and have more concern about the issues and about people being fair and honest with each other. All right. So before we end this conversation entirely and move on to to one of the other subjects we have to address, Jim, I would go back to what I said a few minutes ago. It it when Governor Kemp's office announced this way of picking a nominee to say, I'm going to open applications up. It seemed like a really interesting idea, um, somewhat, you know, sort of democratizing the process, at least in, in appearance. But the way things have unfolded, this is sort of backfiring, especially now that Trump has weighed in. It really does put the governor in an impossible situation. I, I think he, if, if in, in hindsight, I'm sure he would probably tell you if 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 he wasn't in front of a microphone that I should have uh, I should have given it a, a specific, say, three week life yeah. or a two week life, yeah. Yeah. then closed it off and made a, made a decision very quickly because what he's allowed is other people to step in and do it. And and I would I, I would also say that there's a, a little undercurrent that we haven't talked about here, that this is in, in, in a way this is kind of an extension of the 28 uh, 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 2018 GOP runoff for governor. Because you have, of course, Doug Collins is in Gainesville. He lives in, in uh, based in Hall County, as was Governor Deal, as was Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. They kind of all share a lot of the same uh, political support team. 
Uh, Kemp is outside that circle, of course. He's an Athens man. He is an he is he is an Athens man, and and you know if 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 he were to pick Kelly Loeffler, you know maybe a first time candidate might choose his political team. So there's there's some there's some there's some some ground game rivalry here, and and one 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 kind of imagines maybe Casey Cagle somewhere in the background. Uh, 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 chuckling that 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 he is that his that his, some of his people have made some trouble for Kemp's first big uh, political decision. All right. Finally, on this, uh, Jackie Cushman, if in fact uh, there are, it's Doug Collins isn't the only one. There have been a couple of other Republicans who have said, "Well, maybe I'll jump in mm-hmm. too." How do you feel as a Republican? Um, you're okay. Let's determine one thing. If Governor Kemp doesn't choose you, would you run for the seat? I, and I'm going to give this as I think anyone that says they're going to run against an appointed candidate would have to think really long. I mean, it's not. It would. I would not recommend anyone do that. Okay, quite so frankly. you're not going to do it. I, I, it would not be my. But people don't often listen to my. You know, to my advice. But um, that would not be my advice to anybody. It's hard to say. I, you know, that the governor appointed somebody, but I think I'm going to run anyway. No, I, mean, I think you're right. Now, the only way to do it. The only way I think it would make <laughs> sense to do it is if you have the imprint of Donald Trump. Well, I mean, and you, and I mean, it, certainly that can be done, and I, right. you know, I would, but I wouldn't advise it. Um, again, I think this is a. Wait, are you saying if l- let's say Kemp doesn't pick Doug Collins, are you saying because I want to make sure you heard what you right. said, you would advise Doug Collins he should not get oh, in abs- the way. Absolutely, I would not. I Interesting. Would, that's, but but um, that's my advice. But right. again, I've advised many many candidates, and they don't always take it, as y'all know. <laughs> um, but again, I think if you look at what Governor Kemp has to do, he's got to both, you know, think about his state and his party and President Trump. Um, and there is no the reality is there is no perfect applicant. Um, there are a lot of good things about different people that have applied. And so what he has to do is look at all of them and figure out who's the best fit at this particular time. Right. But he also may just want to stick it to Trump and Collins for trying to tell him what to ooh, do. Ooh, ooh, with a tw- Oh, all right. Uh, that sounds like the advice a Democrat would give a Republican administration. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way, and we'll be right back with more on Political Rewind. That car of yours you no longer need, give it a second life by donating it. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to support this station. Pickup is free. Here's how to get started. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And Callaway Resort and Garden, celebrating the season with fantasy and lights, the South's Christmas tradition. Over five miles of holiday lights illuminate the forest from November 15th through January 4th. Tickets at CallawayGardens.com. And Georgia Public Library Service, a unit of the University System of Georgia. Kids build confidence and reading skills with eRead Kids, offering pre-K to fourth grade e-books and audiobooks. More at GeorgiaLibraries.org slash eReadKids. We're glad to have you all back with us for Political Rewind. Whether you are listening on the radio live on Friday, watching us on Facebook live fr- live on Friday, or if you're part of our Sunday morning TV audience, thanks for being uh, with us today. I want a very quick note about our schedule coming up. We're going to be here and do a live show next Monday of Thanksgiving week. And, then, and on Tuesday, we're going to do a really interesting uh, 
show with the author of a new book on the first years of the American Revolution. You don't want to miss that. It's a wonderful uh, conversation. And then Tom Faust and, uh, and Sam and, and uh, our entire team are going to take Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off to be with our friends and family. So we're going to have special programming in place, and we'll be back with you again a week from Monday. I just wanted to make that clear as we go uh, forward. All right, let's talk about the debate. Uh, I don't want to, we're not going to be able to drill down too much on all that happened, but let's start with an interesting, what I thought was an interesting point, Jim. Uh, I, this debate wasn't really terribly interesting in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that... <clears throat> and it might, might have been, look, it might have been the fact that, you know, that, that it was kind of a peak day in the impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, just a, a blockbuster day of, of news. And... And of course, we were. We've already talked about the the the, the Kim Collins thing, but no, I think I, I think you're right. I, I will I will tell you, and I'd, I'd like to I'd like to hear what 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 Marilyn and and, and yeah, Jackie and and we'll Melita have on this. But I kind of it kind of had the appearance of ten individual press conferences, <laughs> and and you know and 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 not a lot of you know there wasn't a lot of of back and forth. Uh, Trump was a was a, a was a very big target for for everyone. I was kind of. Uh, surprised that that there that, that there wasn't a specific Atlanta flavor to to the to the. For, I mean, it, it it I I know you're going to you say it did pop up, but it took a long time for it to. It was a two hour debate, and I think it was toward the close of the debate before we got to issues like voter mm-hmm. uh, that, that that are on kind of on Stacey Abrams's list, voter suppression well, and such. Marilyn, do you think a lot of people learned enough about candidates and firmed up their feelings, switched feelings? What, what, did anything happen in, the, yes. in that debate to change much in the way the dynamic? Before I answer that question, I'm thinking about what voters and what citizens who involve themselves in surveys say. The candidates don't ask me what I think about anything. Mm. So often there is a kind of taking yourself out of that situation or maybe hoping that there will be a candidate or maybe two or three or four who will express issues that you have uh, an appeal for. I think maybe also the candidates, because it's a pretty large number, they're feeling kind of tired at this time, so what do we talk about? And I think there is that advice from former President Barack Obama We can't become too extreme, so we need to talk about issues that will be reasonable within that strategy of convergence. I think that's, um, Melita, I think that's an interesting uh, point to pick up on. I mean, it was just last Friday that President Obama said to, you know, watch out, folks, let's not go too far down the road in terms of our liberal uh, uh, talking points. And it did feel like this debate, unlike the four before it, was not dominated by Medicare for all, for instance, the Elizabeth uh, and uh, Warren and Bernie Sanders plans, um, and did in fact it, uh, allow it other issues to come to the fore. That's precisely the point I'd like to make. Is number one, this is the only debate so far this season where the combination of commentators and candidates. Women dominated. Mm-hmm. Women were the majority on that stage. Somebody pointed and, out that's right. There were more women on the stage than men for the first time in a ever. presidential debate and ever. The other thing is, 
you heard about some of what we call the kitchen table issues, mm-hmm. like child care. And so there, wa- there were issues that had not been discussed in previous debates. Abortion came up. So you had a different flavor in part because it was female-dominated. And it came on a day or during a week when women had also dominated some of the testimony about the impeachment. So that was, I think, to see that much woman power dominating the headlines made it a more interesting week for me and the people what I was talked it, to. What was it like to uh, either watch or then read about it? I didn't ask you whether you got to see the whole debate, Jackie. What was it, the Republican point of view watching that debate unfold? So I actually watched the whole debate, which I think because it was pretty boring is amazing. Um, I was very proud of myself. Past my, my bedtime. So I did watch the whole debate. Um, I did do think that my favorite part, there were a lot of talking points, a lot of people trying to get across things that they had memorized from their consultants. But my favorite part was when Tulsi, when Tulsi and Gabbard went head to head and you could see her. She was so back to your point earlier. I think we're talking about being civil. She was so calm and so controlled, but so clearly articulated her position that regardless of whether or not you agreed with her, you could appreciate how passionate and what her perspective was. But she did it so, I thought, so nicely. I thought uh, Kamala Harris had one of her best uh, moments of the night, though, in responding by saying uh, to her, uh, to, to Gabbard, you spend you spent your the entire Obama administration on Fox News criticizing him. Are you a Democrat or not? But, well, that's you know, a very— Be, be that as it may. I, uh, so— Let's talk about one thing very specific. Yes. Um, it was interesting that Pete Buttigieg, despite the fact that he's now moved up to first place in Iowa, and at least one poll, St. Anselm's College in, in um, New Hampshire, has him first there as well, didn't take the fire that an Elizabeth Warren has taken in past debates. He really got – he didn't get much of, of an attack launched on him. Um and I'm wondering, I don't know why, but he and Kamala Harris did have some back and forth on an issue that matters very much to you, which is how African-American women uh, deal with being part of the electoral process. Uh, Kamala Harris's campaign had criticized him as part of his African-American outreach. His campaign had posted a photograph of what they thought was an American black person, and it turned out to be a Kenyan. That looked bad. There were a couple of missteps with African Americans. So I'm curious when when you think about this whole notion of where Pete Buttigieg stands with black voters. I think it is on the fence, and I'm not sure whether it will be falling off or maybe uh, surviving. Black voters see themselves as very good public judges. And by that I mean, here's a candidate, here's another candidate. I know something about that person's stance. How does that stance fit with my interest? And if you don't get that quickly and if you don't get it solidly, then people come away very uh, lukewarm about that. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn, let me ask you. Okay, you, you, you're over at Spelman. You're teaching, what, four or five courses? You've got a heavy load this. Heavy load. Okay, right. Oh. Just, just what's your impression? What are your – where – which candidates do, do, you, do you suspect that your students are lining up behind right now? Where, where, where are young black, black voters? 
going? It's really hard to say. It depends on the class. It depends on the time of the month, the week. I would say mostly it is Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that also fits with this public judgment. So I know Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. I know about him uh, in the Obama administration. He was the running mate, vice president of the United States. I know some other things about him earlier, but I'm not so concerned about what he did in the 90s and the statements he made. But I feel that he is the solid candidate that I would consider. In terms of women candidates so far, uh, uh, Kamala none. Harris. Kamala Harris isn't isn't uh, doesn't have much of a following. On not campus. much. She has some following, but not a lot of it. It's it, you know. I think um, it's really interesting, Melita, that there are two African-American candidates on that stage, and I think they have different problems, but Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, um, articulate, uh, really uh, have great energy, and they just haven't caught on. Now, I would argue that the different problems are that, that Kamala Harris has had a hard time focusing. What is her message exactly? Who is she really? Why is she running for president? Where with Cory Booker, it's been more a matter of uh, the kumbaya messaging that he started the campaign with just hasn't resonated. And it's a different kind of problem. But they both got some good lines in. And Cory Booker's tribute to John Lewis was very lovely. It was uh, very elegant. And eloquent. And I think Kamala Harris perhaps deals with the fact that sometimes when African-American women who have been prosecutors run for a different kind of office, they have trouble connecting. Hmm. Hmm. But, but you, you know, <coughs> you know, Bill, I would I would. Uh, what Marilyn is saying is is kind of resonating. Just the 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 the, the established record, the steady record. Mm -hmm. You know the the fact that 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 you know maybe your 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 average uh, black Democrat isn't much different from the uh, your average white dif Democrat, in which the priority is going to be on 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 ousting Mr. Trump in November. So, and that that becomes a bottom line. Mm -hmm. Jackie, I yesterday morning it. I mm -hmm. decided yesterday morning I went over to uh, watch uh, Al Sharpton at at his uh, breakfast uh, mm -hmm. at his National Action Net Network breakfast where he had like five of the candidates show up. Obviously all the candidates came to town hoping to court right. black voters and they were in all the right places to court black voters. They, Al Sharpton did his event at Pascal's, which they call the historic Pascal's. I said on the show the other day, no, it's not. not it's no. the historic Pascal's. It was on MLK. <laughs> the new Pascal's is very lovely, but it is not, not the, the same. same. Right. Uh, but so Buttigieg was there. And Sharpton introduced him in a very lovely way, really, mm -hmm. talking about how um, the similarities that Buttigieg, as, as a gay man, the discrimination that he faced, his commitment to civil rights, which he could certainly uh, apply to understanding the, the problems of discrimination that African-Americans have. And Buttigieg picked up on that theme. Uh, but I think there are an awful lot of African-Americans who would push back very strongly if you say, oh, our problems as African-Americans are just like the problems that gay and lesbians yes. have. I, well, I, I thought say, that I, was I'm very... Gonna, I'm, I'm going to defer yes. exactly. I'm going to let Melita... Right. Let, 
the do- doctor answer this. Because I would think right. so, but I, I think she's a much better spokeswoman for this. Um, without saying too much as well, because this was a research presentation in my national government class, so... Uh, you can take those off if you okay, want. Okay, thank you. So um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a research paper on uh, diversity rights, and there were also research paper questions uh, in that presentation on pro-choice and pro-life. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the presenter, the student, was excellent. She uh, said, well, this question I have, she had 10 questions, tell me where you stand and you go to this part of the room or that part of the room. Uh, as far as the pro-choice and pro-life questions, students readily went in what we would think is the direction expected. But then when it came to the questions of diversity and difference, there were students who were going, but no, I'm really not feeling that way. So I got the immediate impression that that one issue is a bone of contention. There are many black voters who are not quite ready for that. So, And we're, and we're talking LGBT acceptance. Exactly. Well, the other thing is that the Buttigieg really has a fairly privileged background. Mm. And that means that um, as a gay man, he had a greater acceptance within his circle than a young gay black man in a housing project in Atlanta might have. Um, All right. So he he was... He was interesting. Cory Booker, I, I got to say, I, I followed Cory Booker to two events, Jim. He is the most exuberant <laughs> candidate I have seen and, and, on the campaign trail in a genuine way. And this is the puzzle because yes. because because despite that exuberance, he's he's not <coughs> catching on. Yeah, uh, I mean, he has. He has he had some of the best emotional moments in the debate. Uh, he had this wonderful line. I can't the next day. I can't remember where it was. You could probably tell me better where he says, "If we're going to be at the table, we have to be at the table." Yeah, you know, we have to at, 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 at Reverend Al. So. Yeah, but I think, yeah. I think yeah. this rolls back into that you made the point earlier that even though you have a specific profile, you don't necessarily connect right with with, That's with voters. True. I mean, well, his his line about. I'm the other Rhodes Scholar mayor yes. on the stage. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah, right. You know, I mean, he has an amazing story, but you're right. He it's hasn't just connected. Not he might be the perfect vice president, depending upon I, who right. is at the top of the ticket, and that might be why he's staying in the race. Uh, by the way, when we'll go back to Mayor Pete for just mm-hmm. a second, Jackie, uh, Quinnipiac just put out a, rec- a new poll just the other day, and among African American voters, he literally is at Zero. I think he's going to have a hard time once the uh, the primaries come down south. Yes. It's going to be very difficult for him. Yeah. Tom points out, I should add, that's a South Carolina poll. It's not a national right, poll. Right. But that's the next step. Well, that was my point. It's going to be hard when he comes down south. <laughs> you know, he goes through Iowa, New Hampshire, and then he I, hit, and I he know hits, how that works. <laughs> he, that's right. Newt, Newt Gingrich, your father, went through a very similar right. problem and understands it well. Well, opposite problem. He actually did really well in Georgia, and obviously, then, in South Carolina. He won He won the southern states, right? Let's uh, take another break. Come back. we got a lot more to talk about on Political Rewind. I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, how much do you really know about Marie Curie? A new play tackles her loves, her sorrows, and her greatest joys. We love our lovers, we adore our children, but our life's passion is proof. 
Madame Curie on stage on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Join us for Science Friday this afternoon at 3, right here on GPB. I'm Christy Kent, the Director of Communications for the Georgia's Rome Office of Tourism. Our mission is to strengthen the economic prosperity of the community through tourism development. We underwrite with GPB because they create strong connections with our listeners through storytelling that is full of rich and meaningful content. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. This show is very much a democracy. Um, Jim Galloway <laughs> during the break said, where are we going next? I made one suggestion. Jackie Cushman said, why don't we talk about Karen Handel? I said, okay. <laughs> there is some developing news around the 6th District Congressional race and the attempt that Republicans are making to unseat Lucy McBath up there. And uh, what seems to be happening is the race for the Republican nomination has consolidated dramatically. Well, absolutely. And let's back up because it is it is Congresswoman McBath's district currently. She serves um, the district, the 6th District of Georgia, which my dad held um, previously, even though it wasn't the original 6th. We can go to that later. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because it's finally consolidating. I mean, you know, Karen is a really hard worker. We should say Brandon Beach. Thank who you. Potentially could have been a very powerful mm-hmm. candidate in that race. He was raising almost as much money as uh, uh, Handel was. He uh, kind of quickly and to much surprise uh, decided not to do it he well, backed he dropped out he is and he's and now so now she's added support she has senator isaacson uh, senator purdue governor kemp she has my father endorsed her actually much earlier on um and she's held that seat before so that i think is very helpful um the nrcc is treating her like an incumbent it's that she's a top one of the top contenders they're helping her a lot she's doing well in fundraising um, her main challenge, quite frankly, is because um, she can run very well on the record, is that Congresswoman McBath won in part, or who knows you know, how much, but Mayor Bloomberg poured in $5 million in the last month of the campaign for the last election um, against, obviously, against Karen Handel, and that made a huge difference. So the question is... How much money is he going to pour into the Georgia 6th District, and how much difference does money make? Well, especially if he's running for president and wants <laughs> to spend the money on his own campaign. Well, I'm not sure there is a limit to that money, though. Who knows? Well, that's right. <laughs> but I think Lucy McBath has a powerful message. The congresswoman has grown dramatically in her range of issues she's comfortable talking about and in her knowledge base. And she's established a strong team around herself. I believe that Karen Handel will have a formidable task if she believes she can truly win this and race. I, and I think, Jim, I am not yet convinced. I understand that the, the Republican conference has, has endorsed her uh, in Washington. But they're not, you know, just last week or so, I think a week or so ago, the um, Republicans produced a new commercial that was an attack ad on Democrats in general, the Nancy Pelosi crowd, whatever. And they bought TV time in many congressional districts, and they just had digital ads running in others where they could put in a Lucy McBath. Right. And they only bought the digital ads in okay, Georgia. I, I, and that makes me wonder a little. Okay, well, here, I think what this is, what, what you do, if you if, if you watch politics enough, as, as we all, all do here, you <laughs> You, you look at the actions, and the actions are kind of an admission. You have Brandon Beach uh, bowing out of the race. I can uh, the, uh, the, Please help me with A the woman, other name. Yeah. Uh, Nicole. Rodden. 
Rodden, thank, thank you very you're much. Welcome. She 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 bowed out too. So we only have, <laughs> so far as I know, we have uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the only candidate. She's a pro, a very very hardcore Second Amendment candidate uh, in the race against Handel. So what you have is a consolidation mm-hmm. of 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 the, the, the Republicans in the six are doing what Democrats have 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 had to do in the past, and that is narrow the field mm-hmm. to make it more likely that they're that to increase their chances of success and. That tells me that that they're really worried yeah. about the numbers. I, now, that, the, the timing the timing of this is actually interesting. This this Brandon Beach's withdrawal came maybe what uh, ten days, two weeks after the municipal elections that that saw the election of a a a, a Democratic mayor in Dunwoody yes. and and in a number of of North Fulton. Yeah, uh, I think Maryland well, is... and and you have a lot of really close closely decided legislative seats last time within the 6th Congressional Mm -hmm. District. And so the Republicans are hoping to take back a few of the flips and preserve all the seats they still hold in that district. And what you see is when you have a nested group of candidates – Within the same geographic territory, you have a House seat, a Senate seat, and a congressional seat, and you have all these grassroots activists on the ground, as we do for the Democratic women candidates, the voter participation on the Democratic side of the aisle increases. All right. We're going to watch that race. It's going to be fascinating. I I think uh, you're right. Karen Handel now is in a position Mm -hmm. uh, of strength. Is it enough? We'll we'll see how it unfolds. Just for a couple minutes, let's let's talk about an interesting ruling that we saw out of a federal judge in Florida this past week. Um, the Democratic Party of Florida went in to court to argue that the placement of a name on the ballot, which in Florida is done, you you if your party won the governor's office in the most recent election. All of the uh, uh, candidates running in the various offices in Florida of your party are first on the ballot. The Democrat, by the way, Georgia has the same mm-hmm. rule. The judge looked at the information that uh, was was presented at trial and saw that there was data that shows being first on the ballot, having your name first, is as much as a five-point advantage. Now, we should point out, by the way, that in Georgia... It was Governor Roy Barnes, the Democrat, who passed <laughs> that statute. So yes. it goes both ways. It does. But it's fascinating that there is that much impact of having your name first on the ballot. And in, if this thing goes up in an in, in appeal mm-hmm. process, which mm-hmm. it will, it, it will, we don't know when it will play out. But if it stands, George is going to have to reconfigure its ballot or th- rethink how it does its balloting. It will. And that will also mean a different strategy. Maybe the strategy has to be more emboldened and more empowering for the party that wants to win these elections. Could I add to that a president's concern about the Senate, the composition of the Senate with Supreme Court positions may be up for grabs. We're already in 2019. What will 2021 hold? So you need to have that solid Senate. This is a concern that any president would have. I need another nomination. I need another confirmation. Jackie, if this rule stands, if this isn't, if this, uh, if it's challenged mm-hmm. and therefore isn't resolved in time for the necessarily the 2020 election, it means that here in Georgia, Donald Trump, 
will be the first name that voters will see when they go into the ballot box, which could be an enormous advantage or trouble. <laughs> well, I, and I would guess, and I don't know the research, but my guess is this is true more for the nonpartisan lower end races. We don't know all the candidates versus the presidential races when at least most of the voters would know the candidates. Or in my dad's case, when you're Newt Gingrich and your your name is so odd that people can remember the name. But for instance, I met with uh, Lindsey Rudder, who's running for the Georgia Court of Appeals, yeah. nonpartisan race, right, in, in, in the spring. So you're worried about turnout. And for for someone that like that's that that has a, an R in the in the last name, it is something, something to, to yeah, consider. Yeah, this is, look, this is this is it, it's interesting. If if they overturn this Florida law, okay, that's fine. But but by what standard do you use to to list people on the ballot? If it's if it's if it's alphabetical, are we are we are we being injudicious to the Zabrinskys of the world? <laughs> yes, exactly. Always. Rotate. You get a quick last well, word. In, in rotation. Yes, you could yeah. you could make it random. And it appears on the ballot in different places yep. at different times. With, yes. Listen, without the, uh, the, the party, right? Who right. knows? <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to pause the political conversation because we're we're almost out of time for uh, today's show, and I'll thank the panel in a minute. But I I did want to take just a minute or so to pay tribute to somebody who is today celebrating or this week a dem- an extraordinary anniversary in broadcasting. Uh, our good friend Ernie Johnson mm-hmm. has been at TNT yes. for 30, yeah. 30 years, years yes. this week. Wow. I want to tell a quick story. Mm-hmm. Ernie Johnson was part of the weekend anchor team at Channel 2 News when a woman named Kimberly Kennedy, uh, David Chandley, our weather guy, and I were uh, the other anchors. Ernie was our sports anchor. And one day Ernie came into the studio looking a little downtrodden. We said, what's the matter, Ernie? He said, this is the end of my I'm not going to be here any longer. So why? The general manager at the time was looking at his contract and had him in his office. And he said, Ernie, you can be weekend sports anchor here for the rest of your career. But I want you to know if you sign a contract today, I don't see you having being a material to be the principal sports anchor. That's just not you. You're not good enough. And Ernie left Channel 2 to many tears because we loved him dearly. And it's done pretty well for himself. And if you stack his career on that of his dad, yeah. I mean, that's what that's that's about. That's about I think that's at least 50 years 50 of 50 plus. years of, of Atlanta broadcast. The Ernie Sr. and Ernie Jr. are two of the finest have been two of the finest people you could want to know in our business. And I just wanted to take a minute to congratulate him on all that he's accomplished and on what he's done with his personal life. He's led a difficult but exemplary personal life as well. So thank you all on the panel for giving me a chance to uh, do a shout-out for Ernie 30 years at TNT. We're out of time uh, for today's show. Marilyn Davis, thank you so much for being here today thank for you your for first appearance. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Jackie Cushman, we always love having you. The book, Our Broken America. Um, and we sell that for you whenever we can. (laughs) Melita Easter, thank you. We'll see you again soon, I hope. Uh, Jim Galloway, great to have you here. You'll be with me again Monday for our final live show before the Thanksgiving holiday. And thank you all for being here. See you Monday at 2.